Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Elise Kovic. And I'm Dr. Emma Wyatt. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. We get to speak with my friend, Dr. Conrad Cording. So in the February 2011 issue of Nature Neuroscience, his collaborative researcher, Dr. Ian Stevenson, wrote a paper titled, How Advances in Neural Recordings Affect Data Analysis. They performed a meta-analysis of 56 studies conducted since the 1950s using multi-electrode recordings to study the neural activity in either animals or in humans. And they found that the number of simultaneously recorded single neurons has grown exponentially since the 1950s, and it doubles around every seven years. So today, we're really lucky to welcome Dr. Conrad Kors to the Grok Science Show to talk about how neuroscience research will progress over the next few years. Dr. Cording is part of the neuroscience faculty at Northwestern University and also the Rehab Institute of Chicago. So let's offer up a big Grok Science Show welcome to Dr. Conrad Cording. Conrad, you there? Hello, Elise. It's nice talking with you. Oh, it's always nice talking to you, Conrad. All right. So in your paper, you mention Moore's Law. So for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with Moore's Law, can you explain to us what that is? Well, Moore's Law is something that all of us uh, experience every couple of years. So I have a computer standing on my desk, and it's kind of getting slow. Mm. And the reason why it's slow is because it's three years old. Most other things, when they're three years old, we don't need to throw it away, but computers, we do. Well, why is this the case? It's just been an observation in, in computer science that computers just get twice as fast, approximately every two years. So if my computer is uh, three years old, it's going to be roughly three times as slow as all the computers that people use today. And as the programs get more powerful, they make my computer more slow. And so this finding that computers double in speed, or like more precisely the number of transistors that they put on each of these chips, which determines the speed, that Mm -hmm. that doubles every two years. That is what's known as Moore's Law. So tell me, you're not a computer scientist. Tell me what this has to do with the brain and the so-called Stevenson Cording Law. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if I'd call it like that. But um, so this progress in computer science has given us unbelievably fast computers. And my mobile phone today is faster than the best computers on this planet about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is just because of this exponential progress. Progress is getting faster and faster when it comes to the speed of computers. Now, it w- that wasn't known for neuroscience. For neuroscience, we, we have a huge daunting problem. The brain is huge. The brain has so many nerve cells in it. Uh, it has about 100,000 millions of neurons in there. Mm-hmm. And yet, up to, up to about 50 years ago, we would only always look at one neuron at a time. Sure. Now, since the 1950s, people have started thinking about that, that really what the brain makes it the brain and what allows us to think is this interaction between many, many neurons in the brain. Let me pause you for one second, Conrad. So tell me what you mean when you say that we look at one neuron in the brain. What are we looking at when we look at one neuron in the brain? Oh, so so, so neurons in the brain are are little cells that allow us to think. Mm -hmm. Each of these cells is processing information. So specifically what they do is they integrate the current that goes into them that they get from other neurons. And once they have received enough of that, they produce what's called a spike. It's a little electrical signal. It's uh, like the electrical signals that would go down the telegraph wire. Sure. And what people do when they do research in neuroscience 
is they take a small electrode and they put it into the brain. And when that electrode is close to that wire, close to the nerve cell, then the electrode will see this little electrical signal being produced by the neuron. And by looking at that, we can thereby find out what that neuron is doing. So do you think that it's safe to say that most of what we know about neuroscience is, is guided by how many neurons can be monitored, monitored simultaneously in the brain? Well, that, that is the big question. So, so we are faced with this problem that there's so many neurons and we need to understand how all these neurons contribute to, to our thinking. Sure. And there's certain questions that we can ask by looking at just one neuron. Say we might want to know how do neurons produce these electrical signals? In mm-hmm. words, because there was beautiful research by Hodgkin Huxley that they get the Nobel Prize for it that allowed us to understand how they produce these little electrical things. So that's something that we can ask if we just look at a single neuron. Mm-hmm. But if we want to understand things like, say, how I grasp an object, how I move my hand, these things are all phenomena where millions and millions of nerve cells cooperate to produce these behaviors. And I think if we want to understand these more complicated things, we need to understand how nerve cells interact with one another, how they exchange information. And the only way to do that is really to record for multiple of them at the same time. So if what we want to know is how do neurons in the brain interact with one another to allow us to do behavior, then we really need to record from many neurons at the same time. So so certainly not all questions require recording for many neurons, but there's many questions among those that are uh, closest to my heart that I really care about that really require us to understand many neurons. I see. But um, right now, in this day and age, how many single neurons can one record from at one time? So that's, uh, I think the highest, the paper that recall, uh, the published paper where people recorded for most neurons it was about 260 neurons at the same time. So this is a tiny number in comparison to the many, many millions of neurons that we have in the brain. Isn't there some and sort yeah. of conference going on right now just to discuss exactly this? Right, exactly. I'm at the moment at the Neural Control of Movement Conference. So ah. this is the, the big conference where, where people deal with the issue of how the movement of our hand and our body, how, how our brain produces those moves. Mm-hmm. And so what I found very exciting here is that they had exhibitors from companies that sold equipment for better recording technology. And I just saw this device down there where a single amplifier allow, allows to record from 500 neurons at the same time. And so in the past, when people recorded from several hundred neurons, say 260 which was the maximum, they used several amplifiers that made everything very difficult. Sure. Well, with today's technology that I just saw today, it would be possible to do the same thing with the same amplifier. So it's just this, this progress that makes the computer so fast is also making the equipment that we use to record from neurons faster and smaller and cheaper, and that ultimately allows us to push the limits of how many neurons we can record. So what will the ability to record from additional numbers of neurons allow researchers to see or do? And I, I'm talking like big picture things. How, will, how is this going to help humanity? To start with, it's going to help us understand how the brain deals with information. So what I would like to know is how if I see the glass that is in front of me, how I can find out where the glass is, how I can send the right command to my muscles so that I can successfully drink. Phenomena like that involve so many neurons that we need to record from many neurons to understand it at the same time. But there's many other applications where it helps. One important example is, is prosthetics. 
Mm -hmm. So we can build beautiful prosthetic devices that would allow people to move robot hands. It's almost like Luke Skywalker, where he can move each finger individually in Star Wars using this prosthetic device. Okay, hold on. Did you just say prosthetic hands? I said prosthetic hands, yes. Wow, we. Okay, and and you also said Luke Skywalker. Please continue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when when I saw uh, saw Star Wars many years ago, I there's this beautiful scene where where he, I mean his hand had been chopped off, mm-hmm. and they give him this device, and the device is so good that it just looks like a hand. You only know that it's a prosthetic device because he can open it. Mm-hmm. So. But if you want to steer a device like that, we, we, motors are getting better and better, robots are getting better and better, but we don't, we don't know how to allow people to control that. So now if we can record from many neurons, we can get the signal straight out of the brain and use it to control devices such as prosthetic tests. So and in t- fact, people are currently doing clinical trials where they're looking at human patients that are actually where they do recall from many neurons at the same time, and that allows them to move a prosthetic device. That's right. That's right. There's a lot of studies going on with primates right now, with non-human primates. There's also a lot of research going on with non-human primates. So the way research progresses is generally one first finds out what works based on research with animals, Mm -hmm. and then one deploys it to help the patient. Exactly. Well, okay, so according to your law, the Stevenson Courting Law, give me some neural recording predictions. So the rule that we found in the data was that people record from twice as many neurons every seven years. So at the moment, we can record from, say, 250 neurons, maybe 500 neurons. In seven years, it's going to be 1,000 years. In about 200 years, we will be able to record from all the neurons in the brain at the same time assuming that this law continues or that that rule continues to be true. So tell me what sort of experimental limitations occur if, say, we were stuck in in a rut of only being able to record, say, two, approximately 200 neurons at a time. The current experimental problem is, is one, is you need to get these electrical wires into the brain so that you can see the the signals from the neurons. Now, they make very, very thin wires at the moment. They're just just micrometers. Mm-hmm. They're much thinner than a hair. And yes, if, you, if we would put thousands of them into the brain at the same place, we would very likely damage the brain in those areas. Sure. So this is one of the physical constraints that we have at the moment. At the same time, the problem is also you need to get the data out of the brain. So you need an amplifier. And at the moment, the amplifiers are so big. But as I told you, I just saw this amazing prototype that can, where they can record from 500. Aren't there issues, though, of just simple infection? Say, for instance, you're trying to record from a chunk of neurons and and you have some sort of electrode array. Won't the body see it as an invader and and just have an immune response to it? Well, the good good thing is is the immune system isn't really that active in in the brain. And also, the the kind of devices that you use, which are electrodes, that's just metal. It doesn't give... It doesn't give a good target for attacks to the nervous system. However, there's this problem that they're still in the brain that, that if there's something there that doesn't belong there, the brain puts material in between. So usually one of the problems that they need to solve for, patient, uh, for patients at the moment is that, that over the course of, say, two years, the recordings get worse and worse so that in the end the signals from the neurons are barely, are, are barely detectable in the signal. So that is definitely one of the challenges that that exists for these recording techniques. So 
Okay, for full disclosure, I have to tell everybody that Dr. Cording and I drive to work with each other every day. And we have, I mean, in all fairness, we do have conversations about certain things. And you mentioned something to me one day about your spy molecules. So so I want to know more about that. Tell me how you see this technology evolving. And tell me about your spy molecules. You you see, at, at the moment, the idea is that for every neuron that we record from, we need to get a wire out of the brain. Mm-hmm. This is perfectly doable when we talk about 200. I can't possibly imagine the wire bundle we'd have it was if it was 100,000, much less if we were recorded from all neurons in the brain at the same time. It Once would look like a full thing, head of hair. Uh, yeah, exactly. It would be a little bit like a hedgehog with, with, with wires going into all possible directions. <laughs> so, so, so that's not going anywhere. So, <laughs> We, we, we then started asking ourselves, well, how could we solve that problem? And we came upon a rather unusual idea about that, which is simply what we want to do, is we want every neuron to record its own spike train, to record its own activity. So at the moment, if you want, every wire brings the signal outside of the brain, and once we have it outside, we store it on a computer. Mm-hmm. What we'd want to do is that every neuron is measuring its own activity and is storing it on some tape within the same cell. Mm-hmm. Now, it turns out that neurons, and actually all cells in our body, have something that is pretty similar to tape, which is DNA molecules. Now, what we would like to build is a protein complex that produces one DNA if, there is, uh, if, if, there's, uh, if it's currently active, and another DNA if it is currently inactive. Mm-hmm. And effectively, this way, the neuron would produce a tape that contains the entire history of its activities. And with this, one could indeed possibly record from all neurons in the brain at the same time. It's a little bit like having a tape recorder in every single cell in the brain. Wow, okay. So does this, is this overly ambitious? This is overly ambitious if we talk about today. (laughs) Okay. If we think about the progress in molecular biology, today we can easily sequence the entire genome of a human being. Mm-hmm. It's being done routinely. Ten years ago, that would have been absolutely unthinkable. And molecular biology is making progress at such a rapid pace that these techniques that seem challenging with today's technology will probably seem easy with the technology we'll have available in a few years. Fair enough. Okay, I have one. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, please. Um, hey, Conrad, this is Emma. Say hi to Emma. Hey, Emma, nice talking with you. <laughs> you too. Um, I, I'm intrigued by the discussion. It sounds Your work sounds fascinating. Um, and I just wanted to jump in with a question about what someone like a bioethicist might think of this work. It's, <laughs> in a way, it sounds kind of freaky, but very cool. Um, so I just wonder if you've had many ethics discussions. I, I had ethics discussion with a number of people. So, so the question is, how much the signal that we get from our neurons, how much that really is ourselves, or how much that is just a reflection of ourselves. Mm. So I have a friend, Malcolm McIver, who thinks that if, I, if we could record from all neurons at the same time and we would replay it, that would be just exactly the same thing as living life again in some sense. Mm. So he thinks, uh, he has, uh, he thinks that there's extreme ethical implications of it. From my perspective, I wouldn't mind if you put if you put the recordings from my brain on a tape recorder and you 
stopped it or you deleted it afterwards, I think that's not that's not me living. That is just a reflection of what was going on in the, in my brain at some point of time. Sure. But but it suddenly raises interesting questions. If we could, it, it's almost like you could, if that was, if that becomes a reality, that we could consider is that we might know everything that is going on in our brain, and that at some level would include issues related to who we are, what our personality is, how we think. Yeah. But I, I, I don't like speculating before the fact. It, it, this seems to be, be far down the line. Hmm. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, that's just interesting to think. I mean, that personality might be dictated by, you know, neural fight, firing patterns. But, but, but look, how, how could it be otherwise? I mean, as long as we believe that our brain gives rise to our thoughts, well, then our personality is in our brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, now we're going to start talking about that C word, you know, consciousness that I try to avoid like the plague. And yeah, mm -mm, we're running out of time, kiddo. Um, so I, <laughs> I have one more question for you. And then it's time for the Grokatron, which I did not tell you about. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. So my last question before the Grokatron is uh, considering that the paper just came out a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. Um, isn't it a bit premature to say that you have a law? How long, how many so, years does it take before you get your own law, is my question. Well, I, I personally would, would maybe rather call it a law, uh, would, would rather call it a rule instead of a law. Law sort of sounds <laughs> like it's very binding and it could never change. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the issue that I'm trying to come up with techniques to record from all neurons at the same time, relatively near term, means that I'm already trying to destroy, destroy that law, as you might call it. Gotcha. All right. So, um, well, I'm going to say thank you. Well, no, I'll say thank you after the Grokatron 5000. So we have a supercomputer here with the Grok Science Show called the Grokatron 5000. It's our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. And what the Grokatron does is it spits out a topic and asks you to rank the following people according to certain categories. And so the Grokatron 5000's topic today is neural connectivity. So, please rank the following people as either A, well-connected, B, missed another connection, or C, hemispheres are split. Are you ready? Okay, it's well-connected. Uh, missed another connection, or hemispheres are split. Okay. All right, so the first person is Kate Middleton, the woman who may be queen one day. I am about to vomit with all of this royal wedding hoopla. That's I don't know. Go so Kate Middleton. Um, I I think the hemispheres are disconnected. Oh, oh, oh and you have to tell us why. Do tell. Um, too 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 much hype and little substance. Ooh. Oh boy. All right, go for it, Emma. Okay, uh, number two, Donald Trump. Um. Oh God. Uh, oh, if I had known that as a comparison, then that's definitely hemispheres uh, disconnected. Okay, tell us why. Well, this gentleman seems to believe that uh, that uh, the Barca argument should 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 remain in the news, and I don't think that that's the right way to go. And have you seen his hair? And his hair is pretty bad as well. Thank but mine, you. mine, I wouldn't criticize his hair. My hair isn't generally well made either. Yeah, but you are a mad scientist. You're allowed to have crazy hair. You're supposed to. It's part of the uniform. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, a little bit like I'm on the current, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three. 
Gaddafi. Oh, Gaddafi. Oh, God. Hey, I mean, like, you gave me three categories, and you only give me examples that go into the same category. Why are you complaining? Well, at least it makes the task easy for me. Yeah, definitely put them into the same category. <laughs> the hemispheres are split. And, and, and so the, 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 reason is, uh, the reason is that I really don't like the music video that he did so much, or that someone did for him so much. What are you it's talking about? YouTube video. The music video? It's a YouTube video where they, where they use this uh, auto-tune, and you get Gaddafi singing about crazy stuff. I Shut can't, up! I mean, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's really nice. What is he saying? nonsense pretty much he does it in a nice musical way <laughs> that's kind of magical conrad all right emma who's next okay boy um oprah winfrey um i think she's well connected i oh. do too i love me the oprah uh, yeah she, 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 she certainly is connected in the people sense yes. that she has many people that she talks with she does. Actually, Obama and um, the First Lady. You're lucky and, to be... And, and, op and Oprah is joining them? Yeah, well, they're on final interview on her show, boy. Which is ending next month. You, you know, there's this theory that everyone is connected to everyone through at most six people in between. And I think without Oprah, that rule wouldn't be true anymore. I think everyone knows Oprah through three corners at most. Wow. And therefore, without her, this, this whole finding that the world is connected would break down. Oh, that's powerful. Wow. All right, so here's the final person. And this is kind of like an easy one, I think. But I couldn't think of another name because I'm tired. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Crazy Mel Gibson. Well, I guess he's well-connected. Well-connected? But so is everybody else on the list. But like well-connected as in neural connectivity. Um, well, that's the problem. Like, well-connected has different, different meanings. But, uh, mm. but I think he's also well-connected neuro-connectivity-wise, no? Well, I don't know. Have you heard his crazy, racist, uh, misogynistic rants lately? Uh, I did not. Oh. All right. Entertain yourself on YouTube tonight. Okay. In, 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 in this case, I think we could move him into one of the two other categories. Yeah, he could probably be in all of them at some point in his life. I don't know. Probably, yeah. My vote is, like... Mad Max, Mel Gibson. I like those movies. Therefore, he might have been well-connected at the, that point. Lately, I think his hemispheres are just so incredibly split and not talking to one another. Yeah, some, sometimes one doesn't make sense oneself, so, mm. so that's good. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, anyway, on that note, we want you to come back to the Grok Science Show because you're fun to talk to, and uh, <laughs> you are, and everything that you, you had to say was just absolutely fascinating. So everyone, check out the paper. It's Nature Neuroscience from uh, 2011, and we'll, we'll link what we can on the Grok Science Show website. And Dr. Conrad Corning, thank you so much for joining us today, and please come back and chit-chat with us anytime you want. It was great being on. All right, we'll Thanks. talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, everybody, as we prepare for our next Grok Science Show, we want to give a big shout-out to Mick. Hey, Mick. Want to know why we give Mick a big shout-out every week, mm. I should say? Let me tell you why. Because he goes to groks.net, and he makes comments about the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we appreciate that, and we want you to be like Mick. Go to groks.net and tell us what you think of the shows. You know, just go on there, tell us that you love the show, or that you couldn't stand the show, or that we annoy you, or that we inspire you, or even if you want more information about 
one of our fabulous guests. Just let us know what you think. I guess we're also on Twitter and Facebook, but that's a Charles thing, and I don't know for that because I don't know the details about that. Yeah, we gotta start more Twitter. Maybe we can do, like, live Twitter feeds. Yeah, perhaps. But yeah, please. Also, if you want to go on, on the website and suggest some shows, or if we get our act together um, and start posting our guests ahead of time, um, if you have questions for the actual guests, email us as well so we can ask them what you want to know. Okay, guys. And thanks again for listening to the Grok Science Show. Um, happy May.